it's been a blessing to get to know Oshawa as well. First got to know him when he came on board uh, at the annual conference, shared about the different things that are going on in ministry that he's involved with, and uh, right here, pretty much in our backyard in Portland, and uh, very impressed with how God is using him in many people's lives. Uh, but uh, it, it's a challenge for us to realize, as you mentioned, it's not just saltwater uh, missionaries. It's, uh, it's right here, and saltwater being that we don't have to cross big ocean to get to a place to be a missionary. You can, you can be ministering to people right in your backyard and in your neighborhood. And I'm thinking of the Zins as they move to an area too as well. There are plenty of opportunities for ministry right there in their neighborhood too. But uh, I trust that we'll be able to have our hearts open and, and ready to receive what God has for us today as Ashwa comes and shares. So, Ashwa. Thank you, Pastor. Sure. So it has been a joy to get to know the Northwest Conference uh, over the last year or so. I've been working with... Uh, Wayne Schock, uh, who heads up the Global Ministries Committee, and so he's uh, invited me to come with him as he meets with different pastors throughout the Portland area and in the Northwest uh, to help do some consulting and just help process through what does it look like uh, to reach the nations both here locally and globally. And so it's been just a really neat uh, to meet uh, Jim and others. And so I'm a, uh, I was honored and surprised to be able to uh, get this invite. So very happy to be here. Unlike maybe most missionaries, we traveled a whopping 14 minutes uh, to get here to visit you. Um, so, and the idea is towards the end, whatever time I have left over, I'll share some pictures and share some stories. Uh, I'm at heart a, a preacher, and so uh, it's Sunday morning. You didn't primarily come here to hear stories. You came here uh, hungry for the Word of God, and so that's what I want to share with you, and then as we have time left over, we will, uh, I'll share some stories and applications. This is us, our family, they're also in, uh, in living color, uh, alive right down there too. Uh, put up the second version. So we had the outtake also uh, of our missionary photo that we liked so much, we kind of just decided to keep it. Um, so when the kids say, can we put the chickens in the picture? Now we are Portlanders, right? So it's chickens are a thing. Um, and we're like, sure, that sounds like a great idea. Well, what happens is when the chickens all stay to revolt at the same time, that's what you get. And it's kind of metaphoric of our life. If you notice, all the girls are very in tune to what's happening and are reacting strongly, and all the guys are clueless. They're <laughs> like, what's going on? I don't know what's going on. Why are they freaking out? Who knows? Um, so that's the story of our life. Um, so... Anyway, that's a, why don't you, uh, I don't know, put up something blank or something. That's going to be distracting. It's going to be far more interesting to look at that. Um, and then we'll get to some other slides soon. Um, so, I'm so happy to be here. And I love that this mission conference is also Thanksgiving week. I think that's a great time for a mission conference. Um, there's at least three reasons for that, and I'm going to start with that. Um, the first one is, I love food. And, and so I'm looking forward to feasting with you guys this afternoon. In fact, the only thing better than Thanksgiving dinner in my mind is two Thanksgiving dinners. So, so it's all good. We'll, we'll enjoy it on Sunday, and then we'll, we'll get another one on Thursday. So very happy to be here. The second reason I think 
that it's such a great time of the year to have a missions conference is that thankfulness is a foundational motivation for mission in the scriptures. And that those two themes go together as we read the Bible, right? That missions is not primarily about us and how great certain missionaries are because they've traveled long distances or made great sacrifices or gone to exotic places or done crazy things. That's not primarily what missions is about in the scriptures. It's not about what we have done. It's but God has done to work salvation among the nations and what he is continuing to do to send out his labors into the harvest field. And so missions is primarily about God and what he has done. You see that in Paul the Apostle, right? The greatest mission of all time. Um, he says this, and I, th- I think we have it uh, up on the, on the slide. 2 Corinthians 5, uh, 17 to 21. He just says this, and notice three times He's going to focus on God as the source of his mission's work. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Here's the third time. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the verse is clear, right? Three times it says that missions is the work that God is doing in the world. It's not primarily the work that we're doing. Missions is not about us. It's thankfulness. It's joy. It's amazement at the gospel that motivates us. It's Christ became sin for us, counted us righteous in him, and that's transformed our lives, and we get the privilege and joy of sharing that. And it's about what he has done. So missions is not about guilt, right? It's not the, I, I see the poor children in Africa, and so somebody's got to go help them, so I might as well be the one. Right? It's not about guilt. It's not about feeling bad for the poor and needy, and oh, I ought to do something. And it's certainly not about paying God back, right? Well, he's done so much for me, so I, I got to kind of somehow pay back my debt to God as though anything that we did could ultimately pay back God, who is the source of all grace and all goodness, right? And it's certainly not to win our salvation. If I'm just good enough, if if I'm just bold enough, then God will love me, then God will accept me. No, it's not about that, right? Listen to this. Earlier in 2 Corinthians, Paul says this, and here's that connection between thankfulness and God's mission in the world. 2 Corinthians 2.14 says this, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. Do you hear that? Thanks be to God for that salvation and for making us his fragrance and spreading it everywhere. And so we we are thankful, right? 
not just for Jesus saving us, but also for him enabling us to be on mission for him and live for him. One, one final quote on this point. Um, this is from David Livingston, okay, a missionary, pioneer missionary in Africa in the late 1800s. He says this about sacrifice and how even the strength to serve God was something that he was thankful for and was a gift from God. So he says this, for my own part, I have never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward in healthful activity, the consciousness of doing good, peace of mind, and a bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with the word in such a view and with such a thought. It is emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather, it is a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, or danger. Now and then, with a foregoing of common conveniences of charities of this life. Okay, he's writing mid-1800s, right? These are big words. He's like, I'm living in Africa instead of in a city in the United States. Okay, I'm foregoing the common conveniences and charities of this life. Right? These things may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. All these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. I never made a sacrifice. So that's his testimony of after living 30, 40 years in Africa. Um, and, and traveling the jungles, okay? So we live 14 minutes north. <laughs> We're not in Africa. <laughs> and, and yet, you know, there are real challenges, right, of, of opening our home and laying, laying our life down for the nations here. But all to say, I'm glad you guys have a mission conference over Thanksgiving to remind us that when we're, when we're thankful, right, we're not thinking about ourselves. We're thinking about the gift and the giver, and we're looking there. And so that's what missions is about. And here's the, the, the third reason, right? Food, I'm glad to eat with you. Second reason, the missions is about responding in thankfulness to God. And the third thing is, is that our, our theme this morning is hospitality. And I believe, and this is the main thesis I want to share, is that practicing radical, ordinary hospitality with those who are far from God may be the most powerful and the most neglected missional tool that we have as believers. Okay? I'll, I'll say that again. Practicing radical, ordinary hospitality. Radical in the sense that it's just totally countercultural, loving, sacrificial, whatever it takes. And ordinary because it's just every day. It's just mundane. It's not entertaining. It's not fancy. It's just here's what we got. And we're sharing it with you. The radical ordinary hospitality to those who are far from God is the most powerful but often the most neglected missional tool that we have to reach our neighbors here and to reach the nations. And that's what we're going to talk about. Okay, so Sunday school, we dealt with a biblical theology of hospitality. Kind of built that out. And... I want to now connect it 
to the ministry of Jesus and how he showed hospitality. And so we're going to look at the scandal of Christ's table and then the surrender of our tables. And that's it right at the end. I want to share some, some stories. Um, but I want to connect it because it doesn't seem, I don't think it's a natural connection in our mind, missions and hospitality. And then also what we do is more local global mission, right? Global mission, we, we, uh, we can call it where there's, there's connections between the nations that God has brought here in our, uh, in our city, as well as those, those nations where they've come from that, are, that have no witness to the gospel, have few churches and, and no testimony uh, to Christ. And there's connections there. And so I, w- I want to connect that. Local, global, and the role that hospitality has. I'm just going to share a story. So picture a... Uh, a student ministry uh, office on, a, on a, uh, a public university campus. Maybe it's Portland State or somewhere else. And a, an international student comes into the office and the, the campus minister is sitting there. And, and it's an Arabic student, a young man in his mid-twenties. Um, dark skin, dark hair, dark features. And... And he has a large briefcase, or even suitcase. And he, he, hand, he puts it on the table of the, the campus minister. Um, uh, and he says, I'm, I'm going back to Saudi Arabia. Uh, I leave later today. I've been here at the university for four years and studying English for two years before that. I've been in your country six years now, and I'm, I'm, I'm going back. I've graduated. Um, and I want you to have this. Uh, I'm going to leave this with you. I'm not going to take it with me. And he turns away and walks out the door. <laughs> so this campus minister is now looking at this uh, suitcase on his, on his desk. And he thinks, this gentleman from Saudi Arabia has given me a large suitcase. Um, what can it be? What could it mean? <laughs> And so he kind of puts it aside and prays and thinks and does his other thing and kind of puts it on the side until finally he's like, okay, no, I got to open this. See, what, what is this? So he puts it back on his, his desk. And with some trepidation, he opens it. And he looks inside. And he finds it full of gifts. He finds it full of, of Arabic coffee and and uh, fabric and, and various treats and various things. And he realizes what it is. He realizes that these were the, the gifts that this student had brought with him because he knew he was going to be in America and he was going to be hosted by American families and he was going to meet Christians and, and they were going to share with him and he wanted to have gifts from his country to give in return. And it would be shameful to bring those back to his country. And so the campus minister saw it and realized the student was here six years and was never invited into an American home, let alone a Christian home. And, and how, what, what testimony is he now bringing back to his, his Muslim family about life in America? Well, there's a lot of things in America that you learn about, right, in the movies and in our secular campuses and as you walk our streets 
but maybe you never met a Christian or saw a Christian home. So, true story. But that connects local, right? A local city, college campus. Global, Saudi Arabia, a closed country where you can't plant churches, where you get publicly beheaded for publicly confessing Christ as a, as a Saudi. And hospitality. He came here expecting and hoping for Christian hospitality and left never experiencing it. Those three themes connect um, in very real ways. So let's look at the scandal of Christ's table. We see in the Gospels and in Acts that Jesus offended the Jewish leaders. In fact, he scandalized them with who he was willing to eat with. Right? We see that in Matthew 9, 10 and 11. It says, and as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? They didn't understand it. It was outside of their norm and what they could accept. The early church even dealt with this, right? In Acts 11, 1 through 3, it says this, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them? And you see this connection between eating and relationship. And it was deeply scandalous and offensive. So why were the Gentiles not invited over for dinner? Right? Why didn't they get the invites to Thanksgiving? What was the big deal? Well, you know what? The, the Jewish people and the Pharisees of that day and even the, the, the early, some of the early church, they were simply trying to follow those Jewish purity laws, right? That they, they read about in the Hebrew Scriptures. They were trying to follow verses like this. It's Leviticus 20, uh, starting in verse 24. It says, I am the Lord your God who has separated you from the peoples. You shall therefore separate the clean beast from the unclean and the unclean bird from the clean. You shall, make yourself, you shall not make yourselves detestable by beast or by bird or by anything with which the ground call, crawls, which I have set apart for you to hold unclean. You shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. And you see this connection. He's talking about food, and then he says, that I've separated you from the peoples. You see the connection between the avoidance of Gentile food and the avoidance of Gentile people made total sense to them because in their hospitality culture, in that honor-shame culture, right, eating was reciprocal. Same illustration about the Saudi, the gifts, right? If, If I share a meal with you, you're going to invite me over to share a meal at your place, right? But if I'm unwilling to eat your food, you know, we can't have that give-and-take relationship. And so what the food laws did was cut off relationship to the, the unclean Gentiles and the people. So, right, that's what Jesus is, is rubbing up against. And so he comes in, and how he eats and how he relates to sinners just like blows the doors off the little private church potluck that the Jewish people were used to having. 
right? Just keep all the bad, dirty people out there, and we have our, our little safe potluck here. So, how did he do that? Why, why was that so central to his ministry? Well, you know, I mean, not that we do this, right? But, but you know, you can read the Bible and you can kind of pick your favorite verses, right? Oh, yeah, these, we like these verses. We're, we read these ones and we ignore these ones, right? We still do that today. Well, the Jewish people had done that in Jesus' day. They love the purity, separate yourself verses, but they missed this other theme that was running through the Hebrew Scriptures, and that was a theme of justice and mercy and the embracing of the other and the stranger and the outsider. Listen to this. This is from Leviticus chapter 19, the same book that I just read the last quote from, okay? Chapter 19, verse 33, it says, When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So he can say, I am the Lord your God. Be holy as I am holy. And he can say, I'm the Lord your God. Love the stranger alien as a native among you. Love him as yourself. Right? So there's this tension. And we see it in the, in the prophets too, right? Always they're confronting the corruption of a religious system where they would have these hollow and empty religious traditions and not care for, right? The widow and the orphan and the poor. So we see this in Zechariah 7.14, one of these confrontations. And you, and you hear about the rituals of purity and then the call to mercy. It says this, when you fasted and mourned, Sorry, I'll start earlier. Say to all the people of the land and the priests, right, these holy guys that did the rituals, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth month and in the seventh, those are their, their holidays, for these 70 years, was it for me that you fasted? And when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat for yourselves and drink for yourselves your kosher food? Right? And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, Render true judgments. Be just. Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, which is right, that, that immigrant, that refugee, or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. Isn't that amazing? He's saying, these are these people that are following all the correct rituals and rhythms and feasts and purity laws and he's saying, it's hollow and empty. Did I not tell you to love the poor and the sojourner and the widow and orphan? Right? So this is this other theme that Jesus is bringing back to the forefront. That the, that the verses that they had ignored. Okay? And there's, there's one key scripture that's quoted twice in the Gospels. And it's from Hosea 6.6. 6. And Jesus quotes it. And I believe it brings these two themes together and is just... I, you'll see. It's very challenging for us. And it's just this. Matthew, I'll read Matthew 9, 10 through 13. And I know, is this too small for you guys to read or are you guys able to see it? It's okay? Okay. Matthew 9, verse 10. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were, were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Uh-oh, they're not supposed to show up for dinner. 
And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Wow. Do you hear that invitation to us this morning? Go and learn what this means. I think he's saying, he's like, guys, you ignored this whole half of your Bible. Go and study this. Go and learn this. Learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. But then how do you make sense of that? Are you saying, okay, we, we, we love this part of the Bible, and we ignored this one. Now throw this one out and just be all about this one. Right? It sounds like he's saying that. Now, I don't know about you, but I like balance, right? Well, let's keep them in tension. Let's balance. Let's be perfect. Kind of fit it together, right? I know. Okay, I will follow all my purity rituals. I'll follow all the rules, right? And then I will put my tithe into the tithe basket, and the priest and the pastor, he will take care of the widows and orphans. And, and, he, and he'll get his hands messy, caring for the marginalized people and the refugees, I'll be nice to my neighbors, but it's the, the job of the priest to do the dirty stuff, right? I, I want to find a perfect harmony between purity, right? Don't keep yourself unstained from the world, and, and then somehow, but still being a, a loving, compassionate, welcoming, embracing person, right? I want to find some way to kind of do both and kind of water down both, right? Let, let the other ones, I don't have to be too radical and weird, I don't want to be all holier than thou, right? So I'll, I'll let this one water this one down. And I don't want to be too crazy sacrificial with like homeless people or something. Like, so I'll kind of, I got to keep myself separate from the world, right? And, and let them water down each other. But he doesn't let us do that, does he? He says something far more radical, far more scandalous and offensive. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. And I think... We see some of this, right, in the way that Jesus then, the way that he heals the leper is not just to speak the words, but is to touch the leper and take upon himself the uncleanness of the leper. Or the way that as, as the sinful woman is washing his feet with her tears and the Pharisees look on and say, he can't be a prophet or he can't be a holy man because look, she is a woman of ill repute and she is touching him in a even sensuous way. And it's the way that he allowed that and embraced that and said, your sins are forgiven. It's the way that he constantly healed on the Sabbath, breaking this holiness code to love and embrace the broken and the sick and the marginalized. What's going on there? What's going on there? All these things are hinting at a truth that was there since the beginning. God demands mercy, not sacrifice, because the true sacrifice of God is mercy. God demands mercy as sacrifice. You hear that? God demands mercy as sacrifice. That is our sacrifice to God. Because all true mercy is costly, right? It requires us to give up our privileges, 
our preferences, and even our rights for the sake of another. It forces us to get our hands dirty in the mess of this world. Isn't that what Jesus did? Isn't that what he did in our lives? And because any re- the reason this is essential is because any religious ritual that does not reflect the mercy and love of God isn't holiness. It's actually morally corrupt and bankrupt. So I'm, I'm going to give kind of a, a bit of a, a, a heady quote, but uh, this theologian, Mirslav Wolf, and wrote a book called Exclusion and Embrace, where he's wrestling with these two themes in the scriptures of excluding for holiness sake and embracing for mercy's sake. And he says, how do you do that? How do you do that? Listen to this as he comments on, on how Jesus interacted with the Jewish leaders. He says this, an advantage of conceiving sin as the practice of exclusion. So he's actually saying sin is, right, purity without Mercy. He's saying, that, that, that's, a, that's sin, purity without mercy. And he describes it. He says, an advantage of conceiving sin as the practice of exclusion, because that's what purity without mercy does, is that it names as sin what often passes as virtue, aseptically, in religious circles. In the Palestine of Jesus' day, sinners were not simply the wicked, who were therefore religiously bankrupt, but also social outcasts, people who practiced despised trades, Gentiles and Samaritans, those who failed to keep the law as interpreted by a particular sect. A righteous person had to separate herself from the latter. Their presence defiled because they were defiled. Jesus' table fellowship with tax collectors and sinners, a fellowship that indisputably belonged to the central features of his ministry, offset this conception of sin. Since he was innocent, sinless, and fully within God's camp, he transgressed social boundaries that excluded outcasts. These boundaries themselves were evil, sinful, and outside God's will. By embracing the outcast, Jesus understood the sinfulness of the persons and systems that cast them out. There's a lot to to chew on there. The scandalous nature of Jesus' table. So I wonder, in your view, is the dinner table that Jesus prepared neat and tidy? Is everything in place just so? A nice white tablecloth, all the fine china and stemware. Is the guest list perfectly planned to avoid all possible awkward conversations? Right? You do realize that the table of Jesus is messy, right? You do realize that, 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 that the table of the kingdom is messy. Mercy is messy. And if we want our table to be a Jesus table in our life, and I'm thinking literally, right, actually where you sit down and eat, but also metaphorically, our homes, our lives. If we want to have it be a Jesus table, it will be messy too. By the, and, and you know what? Broken and messy people will be drawn to you and drawn to your table because it will be a place of abundance and not pretension and not um, appearances of holiness, but mercy and difference, different from the world, but full of warmth and embrace.
So that's the heart of the gospel for us in the connection, right, of hospitality to a powerful missional opportunity that we have, but also, I believe, a neglected call for for the Christian believer. So I'm going to share with you a few stories of how we have surrendered our table. And it looks like I have about 10 or 15 minutes to do it. So we've kind of, our story is that of being accidental missionaries, okay? And kind of in a Forrest Gump style, right? Where you just kind of fall into things and you're like, I didn't know what I was doing. I I just took a step, right? Uh, No Forrest Gump impressions for you this morning, but you know what I mean. So a few stories. Um, You throw up a, a slide there's a picture, okay? So, it's a picture. It's our, in our living room. Myself, and you see some uh, mission team members, as well as a number of Nepali Bhutanese refugees and a number of Rohingya uh, Muslim Burmese refugees. So, you open your home, sometimes, um, sometimes things get diverse and exciting. Here's a, uh, show the next one. Um, so here is another, we like eating, right? So here's, here's eating some Arabic, uh, kebabs with, uh, both some Saudi, um, Muslim friends and then some Christian friends as well. We love to combine together where, um, and actually we've, I'm getting ahead of myself, but, um, yeah, we, we hosted this gentleman in the far back. And, and we said, hey, we wanna, we're having some friends from out of town come. We want, would you invite your Saudi friends to join us? And then we like to bring in our Christian friends and say, come meet our Muslim friends. And, and so we, we share a lot of meals together. Um, let me throw up the next one. So here's the story. This is our neighborhood. Um, like I said, 14 minutes north. This is 122nd right there, southeast 122nd. And this is southeast division. The blue dot is our house. We are two blocks from David Douglas High School, if you know where that is. And then one block on Lincoln is Lincoln Park uh, Elementary School. Um, All those red circles are apartment complexes that are majority refugee or immigrant or actual international markets or places of business. Um, So we, we moved a lot. So my wife married me, I'm from Hawaii. And she, uh, we got married, and we moved back to my hometown on the Big Island to plant a church. And we served there for about five years. And for various different reasons, we moved about once a year um, and in our time in Hawaii. And then we relocated to Portland, and we rented down in the Lentz neighborhood, and then we had to leave because uh, the owners were coming back. And so we moved in with some friends, and we went back to Hawaii, moved like five times in a summer over there, and then came back here, stayed with a sister, Stay with another friend and then got an apartment. Ooh, okay. So moving can be nice until it's not, right? <laughs> right? Okay. And then you also saw that we have six kids. And so this whole time, the ki- those cl- kids are multiplying and, and moving is getting exponentially harder. And it got to a point where our, our, kid, our young kids would look at us and say, like, when are we moving again? <laughs> and we're like, okay, Lord, we need to settle down. <laughs> So we started praying for a house, right? God, help us to buy a house. That'd help us settle down. 
And this is, a, this is uh, I guess, about five years ago now. And, and so the market had just began to turn back up from the big uh, housing slump, right? And, and so we'd been looking for a while and, and praying for a house. And I would go look at houses with our, with our realtor. And I'm like, oh, no, this, is, this would not do. This is not working. And, and so at the end of the day, the, the, the kind of the, the prayer and the standard was, okay, God, we need a house that can fit all the kids and that my wife doesn't cry every time she walks in the front door. That's the standard, and obviously that we can afford it, right? Um, and so all those things weren't always, some of those things were mutually exclusive, right? I could afford it, but it couldn't fit the kids. Or we could afford it, it could fit the kids, but my wife would cry, right? So you got to find one that fits all three of those requirements. Uh, so we prayed, and we looked, and, and God provided us a beautiful, large house uh, that fits all the kids and more. Um, and, and our prayer was this. We just said, okay, Lord, we'll love and reach whoever our neighbors are. Now, we didn't know who our neighbors were. We weren't picking and choosing our dream house in our dream neighborhood. We were like, okay, God, whatever you got for us, we'll take and gladly receive it. And so God provided a beautiful house and a neighborhood. And we were sitting down having breakfast our first week, and we're like, okay, we'll get to know this neighborhood. And we start to see these kids walking by our front door, right? Go either going to, to Lincoln Park School or David Douglas High School. And we're realizing, wow, there's all these African gals with head coverings on. Or there's people with red dots in their forehead. Or, or the old guy with the long white beard and the Coptic cross and the black robe. And we're like, wow, this is such an interesting neighborhood. This is not white Portlandia. Like, like I thought, I don't, like, I wear the lumberjack shirts and tight jeans. Like, this is not normal Portland. Um, like, wow, what is this? I mean, we have panaderias, but no good coffee shops, like, in my neighborhood, okay? That, that's my neighborhood. Um, and so we're like, okay, and we start to study it. We realize that there's over 70 languages spoken at David Douglas High School. And, and, and we start doing prayer walks. And I could go down this street, and I could go to Lincoln uh, Park School and play soccer with the Somali kids. I can go down to Mill Park over here and play soccer with the, the Nepali and Burmese kids. And I could go to these different halal markets, with the, the Ahiska Turkish halal market or the Rohingya Burmese halal market. I can go to the Ahiska Mosque, or I can go up the street over here and go to the Pakistani Mosque. And, and all within walking distance. And we literally just began doing prayer walks, playing soccer, asking questions, getting to know our neighbors. And, and God began to just really open our hearts to our neighborhood. Throw up the next slide. And this is kind of the, the 10,000 foot level of what, of what we began to do and what we, we saw God opening up for us. And it's something called diaspora missions. And it's really on kind of the, the, the cutting edge frontier thinking of what is mission, okay? And diaspora missions is this. It's a transformational paradigm of missions that is shaped by the seismic shifts of globalization, urbanization, and mass migration. Rather than seeing missions as from the West to the rest, it instead seeks to engage in mission to, from, and with the diaspora peoples of the world. Okay, so it's, I mean, a lot of words. Basically, it's like realizing God's brought the nations here, and they're coming from some of the most unreached, unengaged, hardest countries to go into, but they're living in our neighborhoods. 
And if you statistically don't realize it, the number one religious background for refugees and immigrants coming to America is Christianity. Most of our refugee and immigrant neighbors are Christians. And so, and they're coming here to worship. Some of them are coming here as missionaries to reach Americans. And some of them are just looking, right? Maybe they're working at Intel. Maybe they're just trying to get a second chance. Maybe they're, I mean, they're pumping gas or they're working at the 7-Elevens. Whatever they're trying to do, they're setting up life here. And they're bringing their faith and they're seeking to worship. And that's one of the joys of, of working with Wayne and the, the Pacific Conference is seeing some of the churches that are not just like renting their church buildings to ethnic Christian congregations, but actually inviting them in and connecting with them and having shared fellowship and shared learning and even shared mission. I got, this last week at the, uh, the big general conference, I got invited by one of the pastors who, wor- who works with a, a Burmese tribe. He says, hey, want to come with me to Myanmar next year? We're going to go back with Pastor Stephen and visit his tribe, and we're going we're to help minister and train pastors. I'm like, that sounds awesome. Let's do it. So, diaspora. There's so much potential in both directions. So a little uh, quiz. What do you think that is? Oh, go, go back one more. The, what do you think that is? That's Ventura Park. Just on the map. On Stark and like 114th or something. That's the, it's, I was invited to the annual picnic of the, uh, during Ramadan of the Malay Bangladeshi and Burmese Muslim community in Portland. Okay, I, I sat down between a Bangladeshi refugee who literally just arrived and had nothing to his name and another Bangladeshi with a, a PhD in engineering who works at Intel. And that's the community. Crazy diversity. So, here's... We've got, I've got time for a couple, couple stories. Okay. So, um, this is, go to the, the next one, yeah. This, uh, these two young men are from Saudi Arabia. And uh, as we began to, to get to know our neighbors, we began to pray for particularly the Muslims in our community. We'd never met Muslims in our entire life. Um, but we began, began praying for them and began studying Islam and, and learning about our neighbors. And... I was going for a run one night, and um, I met these, these two gentlemen. Uh, they had moved in across the street from us, uh, living with our, our Vietnamese neighbor. And, and I invited them over for dinner. I said, hey, come join us for dinner. And they said, no, no, you come join us. Um, we'll, we'll cook for you kapsa, which is their Arabic chicken and rice. I said, oh, that's wonderful. That sounds great. And so we, our whole family joins them the next week, and we share this great meal, and it's a very active and and uh, you could say like a proactive hospitality. They're scooping rice and chicken and serving us, and it's a wonderful time. And then my wife and kids go to uh, head back home, cross the street, about nine, and I stay up till like two a.m. talking about everything under the sun uh, with these guys who are here as English students, so they can um, enter U- uh, U.S. University and to get their degrees, so they can go back to Saudi Arabia. So if you, you didn't realize it. The, the previous Saudi king had a, sc- a large scholarship program. For the last about 15, 20 years, um, thousands, tens of thousands of Saudis have come to America to learn English, get their degrees and education, and go back to Saudi Arabia. What an incredible missional opportunity that we've had. 
And, and so I meet these guys, right? And we start talking. And then at the end of a conversation, they say, we really want a Christian family to live with. We're in a kind of a bad living situation right now. We don't like it. And we really want a Christian family to live with. A good family with kids that we can practice English with. And we love families and we, we want Christians to live with. And I hear that and I full on pull like, you know, the priest in the Good Samaritan story, right? Okay, Good Samaritan story, there's different characters. I wasn't the Samaritan, right? I was the guy that's like, huh, yeah, you need that, huh? I'm walking the other side of the street. So I said to him, I kid you not, I know Christian families with houses. I'll talk to some friends to see who would like to host two young Arabic men. I'll go talk to people and see who's up for that. That sounds, sounds like there might be someone, right? And, but I wasn't sure it was me. Um, and so I get back home and I, I tell my wife, um, I think, I think I, she says I woke her up, so I think I probably did. Woke her up and I, and I tell her, yeah, the weirdest thing, weirdest thing. They said they wanted a Christian family to live with. And she says, we have room. And... So I, I just moved. We have a big finished basement. I had moved my office into it. And I have lots of books. And I have, we had these great bookshelves. And I had got it all ready to set up. And I was going to do it. And she's like, in the basement, we have room. And so we thought about it, talked about it, prayed, talked to other people. And we felt God was calling us to do it. And so we, we said to these guys, okay, you can move in. Move into the basement. I moved out of the basement into the furnace room. I now have a full-on man cave right next to the water heater and gas furnace um, and surrounded by books. And they moved in and we said, okay, you can stay a week. At the end of the week, we still like you, you still like us, you can stay a month. At the end of the month, we still like you, you still like us, you can stay longer. And they're like, okay, no problem, brother. We only need uh, maybe two, two months. Is it? Is this fine? I'm like, okay. Um, end of the week, this is great. Right? End of the month? Hey, open door. Okay, so a year and a half later, <laughs> right? They, um, so I mean, literally, it went from uh, these two guys, one guy gets married, the friend moves in. Those two guys go off to university, the friend's uh, cousin moves in. The cousin moves out, the cousin's, the friend's cousin's friend moves in. They, so like literally, so now we are four years in, we've hosted nine students from Saudi Arabia. Um, and it's all been through just networks of relationship. And there's so many stories I could share. But let's just, this is their first Christmas with us, uh, reading the Arabic English Bibles that, they, uh, that we gave them. Their first time ever seeing a Bible in their language. Uh, probably ever holding a Bible, ever. Uh, throw up the next slide. Um, this is us visiting uh, this one former student and his wife in Kansas. We were on a, um, a road trip for ministry, and we're like, let's go visit our former students. And so we told them, hey, we're going to be in town, and they were so excited to host us. And here's that, that give and take of hospitality. And throw up the next one. Um, this is me uh, with another one of our former students and three of his friends. They look kind of like thugs, but they're actually nice guys. Um, and, and we're eating, always eating on the floor, a lot of eating in these pictures. Um, but I was going to a missions conference in Houston, Texas, um, 
And I said, I have students in Houston. I'm going to stay with them. Right? All, the, all my people in the conference, right? You get in a hotel, you get an Airbnb, you're staying with a bunch of other believers. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to stay with my former student. And he was so happy to host us. So happy. We've got lots of, lots of great time together, connecting and continual. So many conversations about the Lord. Um, throw up the next one. Um, just, I'm going to show pictures. This is, so again, kind of bringing in, we have some mission team members. This is two Saudi students and then two Burmese uh, Muslim refugee kids. Um, so really the great thing about uh, Muslim ministry, if you're bad at names like me, hey, it's real easy. So, so from left to right, just among the, um, the uh, darker complexion fellas, there's Ra, Abdullah, Ra, Abdullah. <laughs> so there you go. You can remember that? So pronunciation, but it's hard, but remember, easy names. Uh, this is us going on some, doing some missional camping. We're all good. We did some backpacking. Um, and then throw up, next one. This is us. It's going on a, doing Luke 10, house of peace search. Luke 10, Jesus sends out his disciples. He says, go two by two and find a man of peace. And when you find a man of peace, bless his house and minister from there, right? So we go out and we're not looking to convince anyone of anything. But we know that Jesus has prepared some people to follow Jesus. And we're just looking for those people prepared. So we're going on a walk, praying, and we see some, a, a Nepali, an older Nepali man look out his window in his apartment and smile and wave at us. And we're like, oh, that's where we're going, Lord. And we knock on the door, and it's just huge party. You want to know what Diwali is? Right? Diwali, it's, it's, it's kind of the high holy day of the, the Hindu calendar. And, and we knock on the door. We're just like, hey, we're your neighbors. We're just out getting to know our neighbors. What's going on? You guys having a party? They say, yes, it's Diwali. It's like Hindu uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas put together. And we're like, that sounds awesome. And they're like, come on in. And we're like, cool. You got food? Oh, lots of... I didn't say that. But, of course, <laughs> they're like, come sit, sit. And then they served us these huge plates of, of Nepali curry. My first time having goat meat. Yeah, it's not as bad as you think it is. Uh, it's awesome. And then like homemade, uh, like the yogurt and these donuts. Oh, so good, right? But it turns out through that, we met the president of the Nepali Community Association. We met the, the, the head of the Nepali Youth Soccer Organization. We ended up connecting with the Nepali Christian Church through that meetup. Just one door we knocked on and God opened up incredible doors. And even one of these gentlemen uh, came to faith in Christ. Um, two more, what, next slide. And then we're going to land the ship. Um, this is, these are all gentlemen. This is Wayne, who I mentioned before, who heads up the mission committee. And then these are other pastors and leaders, mostly from uh, Oregon City Evangelical Church. And I, I did a Sunday school with them. And I, I said, hey, you know what? Over Ramadan, I'll be visiting my local mosque. And I just I, I share a meal with them. And I talk and get to know guys and share Jesus. I said, and you guys want to visit a mosque? And they were taking a class on Islam for Sunday school. And, and it's like, oh, okay, it'd be great to actually visit, right, and meet some people. So I, I took him, and here's my friend, Abdul, uh, he's a Pakistani doctor, uh, and he, he did a little Q&A with these guys. Um, and then throw up the last picture. Um, and this is another thing with Wayne. Um, Pastor Paul and Pastor Ben, um, they're down in... Um, Woodburn, right, which is majority Latino, 
60 plus percent Latino. And, and Paul realized, you know what, if I want to reach the Latino community, I need to partner with Latino believers. Amazing. And, and so he began to work with uh, Pastor Ben, and God's done a great thing. And Ben actually went through the pastoral training program within your guys' conference, and he's joined. And, 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 I'm, and we were doing some consulting, and I'm like, if you guys do this, and you like really open up the doors, I mean, you're going to be half Hispanic in the 10 years, like, because they know how to church plant, and they have a heart for the gospel. And it's like, if you're ready for that, praise God, because it can happen. Um, so that's a bit of what we call diaspora missions. It's both the going out to the diaspora that God has brought here, and then it's realizing that God will open up doors even to go back into their countries, and it's the partnering with with Christians that have come from the nations and realizing that we can learn from them uh, in reaching the nations. So I'm going to throw up my, my prayer requests, um, and then there'll be a prayer sign-up form. We do monthly, every other month, updates. We'd love to want to just... Sign your name uh, we'll, we'll, and put your email. I'll add you to that list. Uh, if you want to get together, share coffee, find out more, share, share with me about what uh, your interest in what we're talking about, or find out more about joining us as financial or prayer partners, just check the other little box and I'll leave your phone number or email. I'll call you up and we'll do coffee. Um, prayer requests, throw that up. So we're just discerning through a lot of different opportunities. We have presently more more opportunities than we have time for, and I obviously have a lot of home responsibilities as well. So just really need discernment there. Um, God's work in salvation among the Muslim community here in Portland. Um, there's a lot of work to do, a lot of openness to the gospel, um, but at the same time, a lot of, yeah, a lot of challenges. Um, so pray for the Muslim community. And then God's power and presence as we plan a 2019 trip to the Arabic Peninsula. So these students that we've hosted have multiple occasions invited me back uh, to their country to visit with them and stay with them. And so I don't, I don't know what God will do from that, but I'm really just kind of pulling the thread of the Spirit. God, what will you do? I've been invited. Okay, I'll go. And I get to go not as like, who's this American person? What are you doing here? It's actually, I get to be the honored guest uh, of these, these young men who I, I hosted. Um, and then finally, our uh, for raising financial uh, partners, our organization has us doing about 50% of our time to support raising. Uh, in the last year, two of our larger support churches, uh, because of some struggles that they've had as churches, have had to cut all their missionaries. And so we're actually losing about 1100 in support uh, going into 2019, just through things outside of our control, but things that aren't outside of God's control. So... That's a, a prayer request and our support raising um, as well. So thank you so much. Let, let me uh, pray for you guys. And I, I probably went five or ten minutes over. But uh, thank you for being patient with me. And it's been a joy to, to get to know you guys. And we look forward to sharing a meal as well. Um, so let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, your word is mighty and powerful. And, uh, and it changes us. Uh, and... I thank you for this church and their faithfulness over the years and their heart for the nations and their heart for you and just clearly the, the warmth of relationship that's here. And I, I pray that by your spirit, you would, you would cause it to overflow and flood out into the, uh, the streets and the, the communities and the, and the schools and the restaurants and the businesses uh, of, this, 
community, uh, that many would come to know you, Lord Jesus. Uh, and we thank you that you've brought the nations here. And uh, would you let us reach them here and over there, uh, that we'd be faithful to the call you've given us. And we love you, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen.